White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. your host, Connor McKnight. Good afternoon and welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I am Connor McKnight. Great to have you for the hour that we've got you. We are getting closer and closer to the start of spring training. Want to talk White Sox here with you this afternoon. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number, as always, here on White Sox Weekly. You can hit us up on social at uh, at C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle for myself. If you're into that whole thing for as long as Twitter exists, you can hit us up there. Uh, and ESPN White Sox is the station handle for all the White Sox programming news and fun notes along the way. You can find us there. Charlie Bevins is our producer this afternoon. We've got one big story surrounding the White Sox, and unfortunately, it is, it is not a happy one. Um, we've got one big interview coming up in just a little bit newest White Sox left fielder, Andrew Benintendi, and I had a conversation a couple of days ago, so we'll play that for you, Uh, and a lot of other kind of uh, smaller bits and nuggets along the way this afternoon. Dylan Cease, the AL Cy Young runner-up, was on Buster Olney's Baseball Tonight podcast just the other day. Uh, Charlie was kind enough to clip a couple of things from that podcast, Dylan and Buster talking some. I I think you might find it interesting. If we've got time, we'll get to those uh, either today or next week, hopefully today, and I I can keep myself organized and and move through this. Um, It is sad news, and the biggest story surrounding the White Sox is, of course, as you've heard likely over the last couple of days, the diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. Uh, This was announced, like I said, just a couple of days ago. And, you know, credit to the organization, credit to Liam for for handling this the way they did, you know, kind of publicly and forthright. When you think about Liam, and if you've had a chance, and I know a lot, a lot of White Sox fans have had a chance to meet Liam, talk with Liam. I mean, hell, if you've got tickets near the White Sox bullpen, whether it's at home at Guaranteed Rate Field or when the Sox are on the road, chances are you've had a conversation with Liam Hendricks while he's been out in that bullpen. That's just the kind of guy that he is. Um, I'll I'll read you the statement that Liam put out on his own personal Instagram real quick here. Uh, As a professional athlete, he writes, I've always been mindful to try and use my position in the public eye to the most positive ends possible by shining a light on causes or issues that touch close to home for myself, my wife, and my family. It's in that spirit that I want to share some personal health news I've learned in the past few days and to do so on my own terms. Recently, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Liam Hendricks continues. Hearing the word cancer came as a shock to my wife and I, as it does to millions of families each year. However, I am resolved to embrace the fight and overcome this new challenge with the same determination I've used when facing other obstacles in my life. My treatment begins tomorrow, which was uh, earlier this week, and I'm confident that I'll make a full recovery and be back on the mound as soon as possible. I know with the support of my wife, my family, my teammates, and the Chicago White Sox organization, along with the treatment and care from my doctors, I will get through this. That's Liam Hendricks' statement on Instagram regarding his diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The White Sox issued a statement of their own. This is general manager Rick Hahn 
speaking about this issue uh, in a statement released by the Sox earlier this week. Our thoughts and reactions at this time are for Liam the person, not Liam the baseball player. I know the entire Chicago White Sox organization, our staff, his teammates, and certainly White Sox fans will rally in support of Liam and Christy during the coming months. Knowing everyone involved, especially Liam, we are optimistic he will pitch again for the White Sox as soon as viable. In the meantime, we will all do everything in our power to support our teammate and his family as they face this challenge while also respecting their privacy. We do not expect to have any updates on Liam's playing status prior to opening day at the very earliest. So that is the big news item around the White Sox over the last couple of days, perhaps the the biggest news item uh, of the offseason. And I I guess, you know, you can um, probably call me out for being a little crass on that one. There, There is a ranking headlines here when cancer becomes part of the storyline. I've, I've talked to Liam a handful of times for the pregame show and in, in interviews like that. He has always been kind and generous with his time, and that goes uh, a very short way in, in describing what the guy is like. I would encourage you, um, if you can, to go read uh, White Sox Beat Reporter's pieces about Liam's cancer diagnosis, not because um, it is any kind of, you know team specific or baseball oriented or, you know, White Sox kind of breakdown sort of thing for the coming 2023 season. Far from it. If you read anyone's work from Scott Merkin of MLB.com, James Fegan of The Athletic, Vinnie Duber, CHGO, Daryl Van Scowen, Scott Greger, and I'm probably forgetting some, there are many more. Each one of those beat writers has gone um, into detail about Liam's work through charities that he's either started himself, become invested in through friends, and or just kind of the things he goes, he and his wife, Christy, go out of the way to do to support the baseball community, the White Sox community, the LGBTQ community, um, underserved baseball athletes in and out town and in and throughout town. It's remarkable the work he's done. And specifically in reading um, James Fegan's piece just a couple of days ago, there are a couple, and I believe it's the um, uh, Players for Pits charity. It's a, it's a pit bull uh, awareness kind of charity that Liam is involved in. Um, one, of, uh, one of many charities that is now working to you know, try and support a guy that has been a face of these various, various charitable works uh, that, that he's been in and around. So I, I think it goes, those kinds of things go a long way kind of speaking of the man himself and you know i on on the show today i don't really want to spend a whole lot of time talking about what the situation will be for the white Sox when they break camp in the back end of the bullpen or or who steps up and takes over suffice it to say that you know the names i mean kendall graveman and aaron bummer and joe kelly and Ronaldo lopez are all big time arms with big time stuff that figure to get a lot of opportunities while Liam is out of action. And the hope is um, that this has been, again, this is the, that this has been caught early, that this is a treatment course that he is able to dominate the way he does with his fastball and everything else that, that Liam is like Rakan said, able to return to the white Sox and pitch as soon as is viable. When that is, is, is a conversation that, Liam will start on his own, right? I mean, through this treatment, through this time, through this recovery. And I think Liam Hendricks is going to be the guy 
to let people know when he's able to return, be that this season or next. And certainly, you know, I, I would guess that as, as you come back from a situation like this, and, and as I've mentioned, the full hope is that Liam is, is more than able to come back from this. Um, players in the past have. John Lester, uh, who pitched in this town for a while, had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, was back pitching in the the subsequent, uh, pardon, the, the actual year in which he, he was diagnosed and then back to full power, um, uh, according to the way he kind of talks about his own story in, in the season afterward. Um, just one of a few guys who have kind of come back from, from this, from a diagnosis like this and been able to pitch. Uh, Liam has talked about, at least in, in a little bit and, and in some other places, um, about wanting to be able to come back and, and pitch as soon as possible. That's just kind of Liam Hendricks. It's where he is. Uh, I, I wanted to bring you news or, or rather words from a teammate of his. Um, Charlie Bevins, like I said, our producer was able to clip a couple of things from Buster Olney's Baseball Tonight podcast earlier in the week. Um, and you'll hear more uh, from Dylan later in the show about you know his season and some interesting stuff about pitching that he talked with Buster about. But I wanted to play this for you here in the first segment of the show, the start of the show. Dylan spoke a little bit to Buster about Liam's cancer diagnosis, uh, about kind of the, the guy he is, the teammate he is. Um, so here's his teammate Dylan Cease. On yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously it's um, really devastating news, but you know, I, I think from what I'm hearing, it, it shouldn't be too serious, and he should be able to uh, come through it. And uh, in, in, you know, this year, so um, as a teammate, I mean, he's uh, he, he's not afraid to be himself. Would be the biggest uh, biggest way I describe him, which is is always a positive because. Um, I guess in a sense, it's, uh, it's, it takes courage and kind of like vulnerability, you know, to, to, to be willing to just put yourself out there. And, um, so to me, that's kind of like a form of leadership. So, um, he, he's always been a, an inclusive guy. So, you know, he's, he's, um, he's, how to describe it? Just, he's just a good clubhouse guy, you know? I mean, he's, uh, obviously what he does in the field speaks for itself, but, um, you know, what he, what he does in the clubhouse is, uh, I think, just as important. I got to believe that when he comes through the door every day, it's like the energy level in the built in the room goes up. Yes. Yeah, it depends. Sometimes he's uh, sometimes I think he's in Lego mode and he wants to just build. But when he's in uh, when he's in talking mode, it can uh, it can definitely get everyone going. That's White Sox starter and AL Cy Young runner up Dylan Cease on the Buster Only Baseball Tonight podcast. I, I think, too, in thinking about. You know, kind of the way Dylan was talking about Liam as a, as a clubhouse guy, right? As a great clubhouse guy. I, I'm of the opinion that it takes all types to build a great clubhouse, right? Um, it's rare. I, I think a lot of players would tell you it's rare that the same type of guy, you know, 26 of the same type of dude would make a good clubhouse. It'd be a boring clubhouse. And it might be a good one, but it'd be certainly boring. And you need things, different kinds of things, different ingredients throughout the year, throughout a 162-game season to constitute a quality clubhouse. And what impresses me most about uh, about Liam, I guess, from from my own perspective, is that he doesn't seem to be just one thing. He's a lot of different things. And as Dylan kind of talked about there, it takes, I think his words were courage and vulnerability to be that guy, to be himself, to be, to be Liam Hendricks in a baseball clubhouse. And he very, Liam very much is um, unapologetically himself. And I think that brings, has brought 
a lot to the White Sox clubhouse over the last two years and two clubhouses prior that Liam has been a part of. So obviously our best to Liam in his road to recovery, hopefully it is a quick and successful one. And he's able to pitch for the White Sox again, like the team, like Rakan himself had said, when it is viable. That unfortunately is the, the biggest news around the White Sox here in the middle of January. Um, earlier and prior to Liam's diagnosis, Andrew Benintendi was signed to the biggest free agent contract the White Sox had ever issued. He's going to be a big force for the White Sox in left field. And he and I had a sit-down kind of conversation, an interview, just a couple of days ago. That's what we call him in the business. So when we come back, you will hear that conversation. And the reason we try and be forthright with everything here on the show, but the reason I'm making sure to let you know that this was recorded is because he and I got to talking about a few uh, football things that he is very interested in. Some of those games are coming up this weekend, and some have had eh, just a couple of pieces of news break out about them, which make, may make the, the Bengals conversation feel a little bit dated. Not much, but you're going to hear just how much Andrew Benintendi has uh, invested in this Bengals-Ravens game coming up this weekend. So that's next. Also, Sox fans, 2023 ticket plans are available now. We offer a variety of plans. When you lock in today, you'll get flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. Andrew Benintendi is our guest next on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Joining us, the newest member of the Chicago White Sox, Andrew Benintendi. Andrew, appreciate you hopping on the show. Glad we could schedule this. And uh, welcome to the White Sox. Welcome to White Sox Weekly. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I know I know a lot of fans are thrilled that you are on the team. You, as a, as a lefty outfielder, you know, with the, the back control, the plate discipline, all this other kind of stuff, the defense, the gold glove, you fit a lot of things that the White Sox, that White Sox fans were looking for this team to add over the last couple of weeks. What made this fit so perfect for you? Can you catch Sox fans up on, you know, kind of the things that, that made this make the most sense? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from day one of the offseason, there was a uh, great communication with the team. Um, you know, obviously, it's a place that, you know, I'm pretty familiar with because of the last few years and, um, you know, saw from the other dugout what this team's capable of, capable of and what they can do. So um, it's something that drew my interest right away. And then, you know, the, the relationship that, you know, I've had with, you know, the front office and, you know, a couple other guys along the way, it's, it's made it that much easier and, uh, you know, happy to be here. So it's it's been well talked about and written about that the White Sox and Rick Hahn talked about it too that the White Sox were kind of after you from you know your draft class all the way up until you know a couple of weeks ago. Did did any of those you know rumors or conversations after the draft, like after the Red Sox took you, get to you? Had you you know heard or sniffed or read any of those things? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, at the time, I'm pretty sure that we knew that the White Sox were at eight and. Uh, that if Boston hadn't taken me that, uh, you know, Chicago was going to take me at eight. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny that, you know, what, eight, eight years later, that's finally yeah. come, come to fruition. So, uh, 
you know, baseball has a funny way of bringing things back around. So it's, uh, you know, great to finally be a part of this organization. You know, speaking of, of, of your past, since we're on it, I want White Sox fans to get to know you a little bit. You are a Cincinnati guy and were drafted by the Reds out of high school. It seems like you made the right decision. You were drafted in the 31st round, then the seventh pick overall. You won the Dick Hauser Trophy and the Golden Spikes Award at Arkansas. So, you know, probably a good decision. But I bet you grew up a Reds fan. So I have to imagine that once they took you, there was just a little bit of, oh, my God, I could play for the Reds, my team. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's actually funny. I I found out um, in the middle of a summer ball game um, in Cincinnati for the Midland Redskins uh, that I had been drafted. And, you know, obviously at the time, you know, I think the Reds were throwing me a bone because I was a five foot seven, 140 pound you know, kid that was definitely not ready to start professional baseball. So um, it's, it's cool to say that I was drafted by, the, you know, my hometown team back out of high school. Um, but like you said, definitely made the right call going to the University of Arkansas. So I, I've got some family ties to Cincinnati. Uh, the, the White Sox have had a few, you know, Cincinnati guys that have come through over the last years. Adam Engel now with the Padres, Josh Harrison, mm-hmm. Cincinnati dude. Yep. I imagine yep. you are a Graders fan. I mean, this is it's probably in your blood at this point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, growing up, we used to eat that every single night. My sister and I would literally go through a gallon every single night. And uh, it was between you know, black raspberry chip or chocolate chip cookie dough. So, um, yeah. you know, we, we grew up with one literally right down the street from us. So it was uh, it was always accessible. I'm a, I'm a black raspberry chip guy. It's the it's the size of the chocolate chip and the ratio of that to the raspberry for me. It just it blows everything else yep. out of the water. Absolutely. It's, it's great. <laughs> So back back to baseball. I, what have you? Once you get to Glendale, what will you be telling your teammates about Pedro Grifol, or or what have you told them already in in group texts? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, obviously those are conversations that I'm sure they're going to happen. Um, and I, and you know, from what I've experienced with PD, it's you know the guy's going to you know, show up, put the preparation, and uh, you know hold you accountable, um, but also keep things light and fun, and um, you know that's what he does best, and. Um, the, you know, obviously playing with him the last two years in Kansas city, I'm, I'm, you know, got to see that firsthand. So, um, you know, having him here in Chicago has definitely made this transition for me easier. And, you know, I think once I get out there and, and finally start meeting the guys and, well, uh, help get me a little more comfortable and, um, ready to get this thing rolling. But yeah, uh, Petey's a great dude. I'm, I'm extremely excited to play for him again. Just kind of generally speaking, we're talking with Andrew Benintendi, newest White Sox here on White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000. Just kind of generally speaking, not about Pedro specifically, in years past, like, you know, the 2000s, the 2010s, that kind of thing, and, and, and well back before it, there'd be a question of whether a guy that hadn't managed in the bigs could lead a club. And that has really melted away, it feels like to me, over the past 10 years. And I, I think it's because maybe it's easier for players, you guys, to see the grind that a coach like that has come up through, you know, whether it's through the internet or, or just, you know, whatever you read these pieces, you kind of see what this guy's gone through. Do you think that's part of it? Is, is there more um, to the wide acceptance of, of guys, you know, like Pedro who have, you know, paid their dues, but not necessarily played big league ball? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously, like you said, the, the game's changed, um, you know, so much. And I think the big thing too, is the, the technology that's available. Um, you know, I think, that there's so much information out there nowadays that, you know, whether, you know, back in the day, you know, you might have managers tell you something, but now you got, you know, computers um, putting all these stats in that, that spit out an answer. And as a player, when you have that, 
um, kind of information. It makes your job a lot easier. So, um, you know, I think as a player, there's only a few things you can control. That's showing up, playing hard, and keep being prepared. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, obviously for a, as a manager, you want to prepare your guys as much as possible. And, I mean, with all this new technology now, I think it makes it, you know, maybe a little easier or uh, where, you know, you don't have necessarily have to have that experience. But um, it's definitely the game's changing for sure, and uh, a lot of technology is taking care of a lot of things. You, you'll, you'll play this year at your age 28 season, which means – you, you've kind of had a lot of this technology for your, I, I mean, almost entire baseball career. Maybe, obviously, high school is a little bit different than everything else, but, you know, big SEC school like Arkansas. How do you relate to the tech? What do you like? What don't you like? Um, what, do you, what do you have to have going into a particular game? Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to, you know, have a game plan, whether, I mean, in, in my experience, obviously being a, a hitter, you go into a game with, you know, some information about the pitcher, what he likes to do in certain, you know, situations, things like that. Um, but a lot of it kind of comes down to, to your own approach and um, what you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been around it for what, six years now and it's, it's only getting better. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm a less is more guy. I, I know there's a few things that I like to look at, uh, but I just try not to bombard myself with a lot of the information. So um, that's what works for me. Some guys are different. So it's whatever makes you tick. Yeah, I think a lot of fans can relate to having too much in there, you know, especially if they play golf, you go up there to the tee, you got too much in your head and you ruin four and a half hours. That's kind of what happens in a baseball swing. If you've got too much going on, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, if you get into the game and you're in the box and you're starting to think about, you know, a certain number of things or what your swing mechanics are feeling like, or, you know, you may be in a count where before the game, you're like, okay, I know in this count, he throws this pitch all the time. You just start thinking too much. And typically, I mean, in my experience, that's when, uh, you know, I start chasing pitches, swinging at bad pitches and, and get myself out. So um, definitely, I mean, the golf analogy is great. And uh, it's definitely um, a lot like the baseball swing too. Andrew, I've, I've yet to meet Jose Castro and Chris Johnson and Mike Tosar, the new coaches for the White Sox. who will be working on the hitting side. Castro, the hitting coach, Chris Johnson, assistant hitting coach. And then Mike Tosar kind of having a, a large um, overarching role uh, around the team this year. Have, have you had conversations uh, with any of them? What have they been like? What are you guys talking about early on? Yeah. I mean, we've talked over the phone a little bit through text message and um, for the most part, they're just reaching out, introducing themselves and, you know, asking if uh, I need anything or what I like to do as far as my preparation and my routine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, you know, obviously not being in person, but definitely looking forward to getting out there and talking, hitting with these guys and, um, and get that rolling. You've talked about your approach at the plate a lot over the last you know, couple of weeks. How, how has it changed the last few years, especially given the extreme parks you've hit in? I mean, it, I don't know a lot of guys who have gone from Fenway to Kauffman to Yankee Stadium with, with all the different stuff that goes on in those ballparks while you're hitting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely changed a lot. I know uh, it started, like, I think that's 2017, um, you know, my rookie season and um, you know, at Fenway, you obviously had that wall in left field that, yeah. you know, for a left, which I came to learn was it's, it's one of your best friends. Um, and I think, you know, after playing there for a few years and, and, and relying on that wall, then you transition to Kaufman to now where those balls that you're hitting off the wall at Fenway, um, you know, they're, they're caught now. So it's like, okay, now I got to adjust. And that's like kind of what I did this past season was let's focus more on line drives, um, really tried to beat the shift a lot, just take what the defense has given me, and especially in that ballpark. Um, 
because obviously it's, it's massive. Um, then you get traded to to New York, like you said, and then having that short portion right field, then it's like, all right, now let's try to switch the approach. And um, there was a little bit of transition through that for the first week, I think. Um, but definitely looking forward to getting to, to the guarantee rate stadium there and uh, you know, hitting at a you know, reasonably uh, sized field for the first time. Uh, man, as a lefty, there are there are a couple places that are maybe a little bit better to let it eat, but guaranteed rate certainly plays well for lefty pop. No doubt, no doubt, and especially those left center ones too. Which is, uh, you know, I hit a lot of fly balls to left center, so hopefully those aren't getting caught. <laughs> what do you think, Andrew? Uh, just kind of overall about the pitch clock and the shift ban, and and some of the other rules for twenty twenty three that we're all going to kind of come to learn. I. I, I'm kind of surveying everybody, kind of feeling feeling out what people think, because I, I think, you know, regardless of how things play out, player attitudes towards these things are going to be kind of another storyline throughout the season, too. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a I mean, I'm not sure of all the changes. I mean, the, the, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the shift, the banning of the shift, obviously, because I'm a left handed hitter and would love to start pulling the ball um, and get rewarded for, you know, those, those one hoppers that get through the infield. Um, I'm sure along with a lot of other lefties. Um, but I mean, I think the bigger base role, I'm not, I don't think it'll make a huge difference. I'm not, now we'll see obviously in spring training, I have no clue what it looks like at this point. And, yeah. um, and then obviously I think the big one's going to be the pitch clock. Um, it's definitely going to be an adjustment, not just for pitchers, but also for hitters. Cause I guess you have to be in the box at a certain time. Um, so I know a lot of guys with their routines at the plate and I have to adjust a little bit, but, um, I guess we'll see how it goes. I think it's, uh, you know, get out there and, and spring training and try it out and uh, then form an opinion. All right, big question for you as we let you go. Uh, this is full disclosure to White Sox fans because that's what we do here on the show. Andrew and I are talking in the middle of the week. Uh, this is obviously Saturday when this is airing. Tomorrow night, the Cincinnati Bengals play the Baltimore Ravens in a game of football. Loser goes home. Yeah. What's the final score, and why do the Bengals win by 75 points? <laughs> I would take a 75 point win for sure. But, you know, I think it's going to be a good one. It's tough to beat, you know, a team, you know, play a team back to back weeks. And uh, I feel like an analyst at this point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, stretch your no, legs, man. Fun- Let it eat. Let's do it. No, no, no. I think the final score is going to be 24 to 17 good guys. Um, I hope yeah. I don't eat my own words here when, when this goes live. Um, but if it does, let me hear it. <laughs> so, uh, we'll- who does? I, I think we're rooting for you, to be quite honest with you. I think if you pulled the Chicagoland area, there's a lot of pull for, for Joe Burrow. There's a lot of pull for the Bengals. Uh, I, I think we can get behind you on this. Perfect, perfect. That's great. Yeah, it's a fun team to watch. Uh, are you going? Have you, do, do you make plans? Can you, can you snag a playoff game before the, the spring? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think I'm going to end up going to the game. So uh, we'll be there in person. Um, so, if, so if we do lose, which – you know, I don't want to put that into existence. I'll uh, I'll have a tweet ready to go um, on Saturday. <laughs> Good <laughs> next Saturday. Good blaming blaming me for all of the all of that. I that I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Andrew, appreciate you. Uh, enjoy it, and looking forward to uh, getting to meet you in person. Spring training, and a White Sox fans are really looking forward to seeing you do the work that you do in black and white this season. No, I appreciate it, Connor. Thanks for having me. That's new White Sox outfielder Andrew Benintendi. More to come here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, and this is ESPN. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN1000. 1000. 1000.
A White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash insider today. Charlie Bevins is our producer. He uh, just played an interview that I did a couple of days ago with Andrew Benintendi. If you missed it or tuned in halfway through, just go to the ESPN Chicago app. It's a heck of a machine. You download the app and all of our shows, including White Sox Weekly, are downloadable uh, at your pleasure. You can go ahead and take a look at that. The song coming back, I, I forget what song. I know it's on the Tony Hawk soundtrack in the video game. I forget what song that is, actually. But every time I hear the bells... All I think of is is Trevor Hoffman coming in to close a game to Hell's Bells. I know that's not the same song. It's a half a baseball thought, so I figured I had to get it out here on a baseball show. Good conversation uh, with with Ben Intendi. I, I think he does, in a lot of ways, fit many needs the White Sox were looking to uh, to, to fill over this offseason. Um, and you know, he talked about it some with a lot of people, a lot of beat reporters who interviewed him when he was introduced, and he talked about it on the show just a couple of minutes ago. There's not been a lot of home runs for Andrew Benintendi over the last couple of years. However, when you look at the flight path of batted balls from Andrew Benintendi over the last two, three seasons, and you map those out at guaranteed rate field, that number increases quite a bit. You know, whether he's been hitting at Kauffman or Yankee Stadium or Boston, three very different looking places, especially for a lefty hitter who's got the kind of contact that Ben Intendi does, if not some of the top end power. You know, I figure he's a 15 to maybe 20 home run kind of guy. You kind of have to throw out the, I don't know, 2019 home run totals, the 2018 home run. Oh, we were playing with it in baseball for a little while there. And Lord knows what baseball will have in 2023. All that to say, I think there's more pop than the the five home runs that he hit in 2022, and the White Sox could certainly use it. That is kind of the one area, though, that Ben Intendi doesn't clearly fit uh, or bolster, I guess, the offense from what their numbers were last season in 2022. Mentioned that um, there's some audio I want to play from Dylan Cease on the Buster Only podcast, the Baseball Tonight podcast. We'll get to that in the next segment. There were a handful um, of nuggets, a few notes around the White Sox and around all of baseball that I wanted to get to here and just spend a couple of minutes on 312-332-3776. You want to, to expound on any of these or you want to touch on something that I haven't. The arbitration filings are uh, leaking out or uh, coming out rather from a bunch of different teams. The White Sox are no different and they have signed uh, five players, all five of their arbitration eligible players to one-year deals. Uh, these numbers come out from teams. Uh, they are, are arbitrated. This is the one-year deal. Lucas Giolito heading into his free agent seasons. Uh, he's got one more season of control left for the White Sox. And then he goes free agent. He's been uh, talking. There's been a lot of conversation about a negotiation, about a long-term contract. Giolito and the White Sox with a down year last year. Uh, it looks like he's going to play on the arbitration figure that he was awarded uh, just this afternoon, or just this morning, I should say. Giolito and the team settled on a $10.4 million contract. That's up from uh, somewhere around the $7 million last year. It's a little bit under where 
MLB Trade Room is, is a, a spot that really estimates these arbitration numbers well, and it's a little bit under what they estimate. And I think they had him for 10.85, if memory serves. But that's a big number, and it's it's kind of of note because you'll remember that while we were talking uh, and doing shows here during the lockout last season, there was a little bit of a beef between Giolito and the White Sox in terms of agreeing to a deal, uh, settling on a, on a contract, and it wasn't just a, a file-and-go sort of deal. There's a little bit of heat there. They eventually settled, of course, or got a deal done, I should say, um, and were able to move on this season, locked and loaded 10.4. Dylan Cease gets a big-time raise and well-deserved, $5.7 million. Reynaldo Lopez, who is in his final year of arbitration eligibility before free agent eligibility, he gets 3625. Michael Kopech got a big bump to $2.05 million. And Jose Ruiz, $925,000. Uh, no other arbitration eligible players. So the White Sox are 5 for 5. Their players are 5 for 5 as well. So that's just one note there. Um, over the last couple of days, we've seen some fairly big headlines around baseball. The Carlos Correa saga was. Yeah, I mean, it was just that. It was a saga. It was wild. There was a huge contract with the Giants, and that got bunked because of a knee, uh, rather ankle situation, a failed medical. Another mega deal with a mega team, the Mets. Then that got kind of screwed up because of the same physical issue. There was talks back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, about whether they were going to be able to resolve that physical. They did not. And now Carlos Correa is back, quite frankly, where the White Sox did not want him. White Sox fans didn't want him. He's back with the Minnesota Twins on a big-time contract. So just kind of in measuring up teams as best we can here, you know, you kind of you figure that, look, the Cleveland Guardians won the division last year. So the king is the king until he's dethroned or unless he goes over a gigantic rebuild the season after or something like that. But the, the, the Guardians are that team. White Sox will have to chase them down. And the Twins who without Carlos Correa, I, I thought was a clear, you know, if not full tier, then half a tier kind of below the, the Guardians and the White Sox in terms of roster strength, overall, you know, true talent kind of thing. I, I think with Carlos Correa, now you're looking at much more of a three-team competition in the AL Central. Uh, I think the Royals, obviously, and the Tigers, clearly, are in very different places. And while the Royals have some young, kind of spunky guys like Vinny Pasquantino and uh, MJ Melendez out there, I, I actually like some of the hitters, especially uh, for that KC squad. That, that pitching's taking a while to develop. The Tigers, quite frankly, are a mess. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think it's I think it's these three that kind of make up the entire um, the, the competitive balance of the thing. Of the central. I, I think, though, when you kind of square up the rosters, where the White Sox have a clear edge on the Twins is in the starting pitching department. And to that end, there are some rumors about Pablo Lopez, uh, Marlins starter, Pablo Lopez, perhaps being in trade conversations. Uh, the Padres have been known to kick, have kicked the tires. The Twins have, too. Um, and with them, with the Marlins, signing Johnny Cueto, Former White Sox, I'll go so far as to say it, legend, because it was so much fun watching Johnny Cueto pitch for the White Sox last year. Uh, Cueto gets a, a one-year deal with a team option for a second year, um, signing with the Marlins earlier this week. That has apparently, you read around some sources, made Pablo Lopez, a good young starter, uh, available 
Um, and it would kind of make sense if the twins are pushing like this or able to kind of re-square their rebuild around Carlos Correa and the rest of that team, you know, Byron Buxton, Kirloff, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, maybe that's, maybe that's something that makes sense for them getting Lopez. I don't think tips the balance for the twins, but it would definitely, or, or get really getting any kind of starting pitcher of that caliber, kind of that two, three, and they get an ace. It's a different conversation, but I don't think there's a lot of those guys out there in trade talks right now. Lopez would be that guy. Wouldn't tip the balance, I don't think, to the Twins, but certainly makes them a more well-rounded team. Correa was just a just a wild conversation over the last couple of months, Charlie. I I, I think a lot of people, you know, we haven't, you and I haven't had a chance to talk much on the show because it's it, you've had a different shift. But this Correa stuff's been as interesting as anything I've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I w- I was curious, like maybe this is a well-known question, but why don't they do these physicals before the the deals get out? Especially like if you're the Mets and you already watched a failed physical happen, like wouldn't you think that if you're gonna you know, I, I'm just surprised sometimes why these uh, get done before the physical. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? It's like the cart before the horse kind of thing, especially in baseball where we're talking about, you know, 300 million guaranteed dollars on a deal like this, if not more. I, I think I don't know the answer exactly, like in terms of the um, if it's in the CBA, if it's in that kind of. But I quite frankly, I, I think some of it comes down to agents wanting to be able to say, we've got the money for our guy and setting that marketplace. Like, it's no secret that the deal Correa, and I forget the numbers off the top of my head. I don't know if you look them up quick enough, Charlie, but I think the Giants deal was was well north of 300 mil, right? I think it was maybe in the 325 range, and I think there were some escalators and stuff down there too. The Mets deal was less than that, yeah, reportedly. It looks like it was... 13 years, 350, and the Mets was right. 12 years, 315. Okay, so they came down at one year and that 30 mil. Boy, that's a lot of cash. Uh, and then the, the the Twins deal is a six-year deal, I think, for 200 guaranteed escalators and deferrals can, I think, bring it up to somewhere around the 270, 275 market. But I, I would guess that just in terms of raw negotiating power, getting that number out there for an agent, if things do go wrong, at at least sets the marketplace. I, you know, it's it's kind of a it's a weird situation that they're in. But you know, reporting being what it is, you got to get it out there on Twitter and find. <laughs> It put it put everything in a really strange place this whole offseason. Um, teams were able to get their shortstops. You know, the Cubs got theirs, and, you know, everybody went to their spots. Uh, but it, you know, Xander Bogarts went to the Padres and so forth. But I, I do think that Correa stuff is, is – there's a long form that I think Dan Hayes of The Athletic – uh, has done about the TikTok of this, about you know what, not the app or anything. That's Chinese spyware. But they did what the, the actual you know, how it went, what things happened around this deal. Uh, go read it. He's a fantastic beat writer. And if you're like, oh, Dan Hayes, I know that name from somewhere. Yes, he covered the White Sox for a good long while, and now uh, has covered the Twins last I think four or five seasons or so. Um, we got more notes. Uh, a couple more notes. Um, uh, some some news about the uh, the White Sox analytics department coming through, and some good stuff from Dylan Cease on Buster. Olney's podcast as well. We'll get to as much of that as we possibly can when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Yeah. 
Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans, if you're planning a special occasion and looking for the perfect location, we've got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, you'll get priority access to the biggest matchups and the best space for your group. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups. Closing up here on the show, just a couple more minutes. Room for you, 312-332-3776. Told you there are... Yeah, a bunch of different kind of White Sox notes, news and notes, nuggets, kind of, the, you know, be kind of the, the sidebar there in a, in a White Sox post-game report in your hard copy newspaper. Uh, that's what I want to get to here in the last little bit. The Sox signed infielder Hunter Alberto to a minor league deal uh, this last week. He played a lot of different positions with the Dodgers last year. Didn't hit much, but he's a he's a veteran guy well-renowned as a clubhouse dude. The White Sox obviously have opportunities at second base. Romy Gonzalez, Lennon Sosa, Hanser Alberto. I mean, the list list goes on, and you know the players. Uh, But Alberto's got some time spent with White Sox manager Pedro Grafal while the two were in Kansas City. So maybe a little bit of a a, a known quantity deal there. Uh, You know, you, you get a guy in, a veteran. Hanser knows how I run a camp. He could use a guy like that, that sort of thing. And of course, you know, he's, he's 30 years old, so he's looking to uh, continue his career, whether that's through um, some minor league performance at AAA Charlotte, where it is a very hitter-friendly ballpark. Uh, Joe McEwing was the third base coach for the White Sox the last many years, uh, replaced this season. He is headed to St. Louis replacing Matt Holiday there. And this note came out uh, this afternoon. The White Sox have bolstered their analytics department. I'm going to read a little bit from James Fegan's report in The Athletic. Sam Mondry-Cohen, as confirmed by the team, is now with the White Sox. He is a former Washington Nationals assistant general manager, and he's been he's been hired on to be kind of the um, offensive counterpoint to Rod Larson, who's been kind of the pitching side of, of the, you know, Rapsodo, um, Edutronic, all that kind of stuff. The the analytics department, the on-field kind of liaison analytics department, the real, you know, kind of tire or uh, rubber to the road. That's the, the phrase. Um, anyway, Mondre Cohen spent the last year, this is vegan, spent the last year as a consultant for the Phillies an executive in residence at a biomechanics company called Reboot Motion and as a senior fellow for Wharton's Sports Analytics and Business Initiative at the University of Pennsylvania. Mondry Cohen is best known for his time at the Nationals, where he was credited with effectively creating the research and development department and developing their internal statistical database. It's a big, mathy position for Sam Mondry Cohen. Uh, it's kind of cool to see the White Sox continue to build out their analytics department. That is, as much as anything else, part of the business of baseball. And it's it's interesting, too, because Pedro Grafol talked a lot about that pregame prep, making sure his guys know what's coming from an analytical standpoint going into each nightly game. Um, this is a move that helps bolster the ability to do that, it would seem. So kind of a, a, a an of-note item for the White Sox here. Told you a couple of times that Dylan Cease was on the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. And in terms of, you know, nuggets heading into spring training, which is coming up, by the way, February 15th, White Sox pitchers and catchers report, and then the 20th is their first full-team workout. The 25th is their first game. 
and we will broadcast that here on ESPN 1000. I thought this was cool. You'll hear more from Dylan Cease next week, but Cease talked with Buster only about what his, Dylan's, off-season project has been the last couple of months. Take a listen. Yeah, well, right now I'm, uh, I've been really focused on trying to develop a changeup. So um, that's, that's kind of the base thing I'm queuing in right now. Um, so, so right now I'm basically just, I don't care what the action of the pitch is. I just want to throw it with arm speed. So I'm, I'm, I'm training myself to basically throw it, uh, with, with that full, like fastball arm speed. And, um, yeah, I'm just trying to visualize the shape and, and basically figure out where I need to start it and what that, uh, consistent feel and consistent starting point needs to look like. So that's Dylan. Change-ups are coming, or at least that's what it sounds like. The two talked a lot about the slider and the the, the runner-up, AL Cy Young runner-up season that he had last year. I just think it's cool because, you know, when I would do games with DJ or you'd listen to Len and DJ do games too, they'd talk about in Dylan C starts that one or two, maybe four change-ups that he'd throw in a given game. And you remember, I mean, it'd, it'd be like, 77 miles an hour or something like that. A, a massive difference between his, you know, high octane fastball and that changeup. And and I remember DJ talking about this particular pitch a lot, just saying, yeah, this doesn't do a lot, but at that big a difference, and if you're only throwing it a handful of times a game and anywhere around the strike zone, it's effective because of how hard you throw that fastball and because of the action you have on that slider. Still, though, you could kind of see, and, and and Darren did a good job of pointing that he always does. That pointed this out as well. The the arm speed on that change from Dylan was not the same as the rest of his stuff. You could kind of you know feel him, watch him, see it. It, it kind of take it a little bit off. Maybe an eighty percent kind of wine fire sort of deal on that change. So. You know, keeping that arm speed up, Lucas Chilito talks about this a lot, that arm speed on the changeup is maybe like the most important thing in terms of fooling hitters, so perhaps a new weapon for Dylan Cease. You can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow the White Sox on social media everywhere on social media today. They're just at White Sox. Big thanks to Andrew Benintendi, our guest, Charlie Bevins, our producer. Thanks to the Buster Olney pod for the audio there from Dylan Cease. I'm Connor McNutt. We'll be back next week for more White Sox Weekly right here on ESPN 1000.